So, this, so as everybody knows, this world is getting to be a pretty crazy place lately. In every direction, it seems like there's, there's some kind of issue to have to deal with. If you go out west, there's fires everywhere. If you go down south, there's the, the tornadoes, there's the hurricanes, there's uh, around the world, you have flooding in other countries, you have political unrest, and you have uh, our country that's fighting, kind of fighting the government. Not to mention, on top of that, you still have the things that have always happened. You have kidnappings, and you have murder, and you have uh, people taking advantage of each, of each other. And there is, it's a very scary time, you know, and I, I'm not going to stand up here and prophesy and say, hey, it's going to be over here in a couple of days because Jesus is coming back soon. I don't know if these are pointing to Jesus getting here right now or if it's just more hope or more warning signs to people to make sure they get their life right with the Lord. But I do know that things are not going to get better. I do believe the sun's going to come out and shine again in Miami. I do hope that it rains here again. But overall, the big picture is this world is getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not going to come up and be this big happy place where everybody's getting along again, where there's not these storms and there's not all this unrest. And the more we hear about these things, the easier it is to start to, to, to fear and to panic and think, when is it going to happen to me? What is God really doing? And it's, you know, a lot of people inside a storm, what do they want to do? They want to hunker down, right? They want to make sure that their family is protected that they have everything that they need and that they are okay. But I'm going to ask you to do the opposite. I'm going to ask you to not to hunker down, to not to be afraid, to not to worry about yourself, but to use this as an opportunity to spur yourself on to go out there and share the good news with other people. If you are not, if you are not already out there getting in the game, I want to encourage you to get into the game. Sharing the good news is not a spectator sport. This message is going to do one of three things. It's going to challenge you to, to get into the game because you haven't. You haven't been sharing your faith with people. But it's going to challenge you to, to look for opportunities, to create opportunities, and take advantage of opportunities to share the gospel with somebody. This message may also encourage, uh, encourage you that, hey, you have been in the game. You have been sharing the gospel, and it's getting tiring. People are not accepting what you're saying. They don't really care. But I'm going to, I want to encourage you to keep doing that because God will reward you, or this message might be a rebuke, because you say, I've been there and I've done that. I don't like the way people respond. Uh, I, I don't know the message. I don't care about the message. I don't want to share the message with other people. This message is going to be a rebuke if you are not getting out there and sharing the gospel. Uh, if you look on your bulletin in the back, um, there's a little bit of something to fill out. And we're going, to come, we're going to refer to this picture here in a little bit, but there's a little bit to refer to as we go through this message, so I'd like to encourage everybody to do that. Before we dive into God's Word, let's pray again and really ask for His blessing. God, I thank you for your Word. God, I thank you that you have given it to each one of us, and that you have loved your Son, you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die on a cross to pay for our sins so we could have forgiveness. And God, I, just, I know it's a scary thing to go out there and share that faith with other people. And I pray that you would give us the desire to do that and the motivation. And God, I just pray that you would help each of us to feel uh, encouraged or rebuked or uh, to, be, to feel challenged according to whatever it is that we need. That it wouldn't just be something we hear here in church, but it would be something that we want to take to the outside world, to our neighbors and our friends, to our classmates and our coworkers. And I pray that God, you prepare those people to hear your message before we bring it to them. Again, I ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to look at the importance of 
sharing the gospel. And we're going to look at also the importance of uh, supporting other people who share the good news. But ultimately how everybody in here, everybody who's a Christian is responsible to do both. So Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. The first thing we see, the, there's the good news, and Jesus, his whole life, Jesus right here sharing the good news, his whole life's purpose was to share the good news. Jesus was the good news, and he was trying to share it with other people. This, this idea of a good news started way back in Genesis. God created a perfect spot on the earth, and it was called what? The Garden of Eden. There was a man. His name was Adam. There was a woman. Her name was Eve. And he put them in the garden. He says, hey, I, I built this beautiful garden for you. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to eat the fruit of it. But there's one tree that I do not want you to eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why well, picture one day, Eve, she's gathering food for her for their supper. You know, this looks good, this looks good. And she starts wandering over by this tree that she's not supposed to eat from. And all of a sudden, this serpent comes and starts talking to Eve and starts trying to convince her that no, it is okay to eat that fruit. And she gets confused, and she decides, well, you know what? I think I'm going to accept what this serpent is saying. And so she takes, she takes them. And she looks at it. She takes a bite. Man, that tasted good. So she went and got Adam. And Adam says, okay, sure. This is what you prepared for supper. I'll eat it. And he took a bite. And all of a sudden, both of their eyes were open. And they knew that they were wrong. Because it's the knowledge of good and evil. They knew that they should not have eaten that fruit. And from that point on, we, we start to hear about the gospel. There's the first mention of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There's this very fancy phrase called um, event. Uh, let's see. It's so fancy, I can't remember it. It's the Proto-Evangelium, which is not actually mentioned in the Bible, but it's the first announcement of the gospel in the Bible. The bad news started right off in the book of Genesis, and guess what? Jesus is the good news. He says, I'm going to start the good news right off in the start of the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, at first it refers, 14 refers to the punishment that the serpent is going to get. Because he, was, he played his part in deceiving Eve, he, he allowed Satan to influence him or take over him or however that worked, he was going to be punished. All of a sudden, now he's going to slither on his belly all the rest of the days of his life. And the women... Adam and Eve are both going to get their punishment. But before that happens, in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is referring to the gospel. Satan is the one, is the serpent who's going to have his head crushed. He, he does do a little bit of damage because he, is, he gets inside the body of Peter who disowns Jesus. And it, it's the, the steps that are taken in order to get Jesus on the cross to die to pay for our sins. And for three days, Satan's running around excited because he has defeated Jesus. He's won the battle, but all he really did was strike a heel. But it says that Jesus is going to crush Satan's head. When Jesus rose from the dead, he crushed, he defeated Satan. This is all going to be played out by the, the time of the end of the world when Satan is ultimately bound and we get our eternity up in heaven. 
But this is the first mention. I don't think they understood that, but we can look back and see this is referring to Satan and this is referring to Jesus who's going to ultimately win the battle. So the bad news started right off the bat. And that's a sad thing, but the good news came because of Jesus. So his whole goal was to share the good news. And if that's his whole goal in life, I think that we've got to pay attention and think maybe that should be part of the goal of our lives as well. And because Adam and Eve sinned, their sin separated them from God. And that's a bad enough thing just to be separated, to, have, to not be away from God. But God says, you know what? The punishment for sin is to go to hell. And when God created hell in the very first place, you know what that was for? It was for Satan and his angels. That's what he created for. These guys that disowned Jesus said, hey, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to follow your way. I'm going to try it on my own. God prepared hell for them. He didn't prepare it for us. But for everybody who rejects Jesus, that's just, you get the same punishment they get. In eternal torment, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, it's a hot, terrible place. It's sulfur. We were, for some reason this morning, discussing with Caleb, like, people who don't know Jesus are going there, and it's really going to be like a fire, and it's going to be hot, and it's going to hurt. Yes, it's going to be a miserable, scary, terrible place. And I, I, I can't paint a picture for you, because I, I haven't seen it. But it's some place that God says, I didn't prepare for you, and I don't want you to go there. So he says, I'm going to prepare a way, and that was the good news which came through Jesus. So we find, first of all, that Jesus is proclaiming the good news. And now we find that also the 12 disciples are proclaiming the good news. And if you look back in Luke, we looked and we saw who the 12 disciples were. Some of them were fishermen, there was a tax collector, and there was a bunch of no-name people that Jesus has gathered to go out and share the good news with other people. But he didn't choose his people based off of their education. These guys didn't spend years in Bible training or go off to seminary and have all these experiences around the world first. He says, I'm, I'm just going to call you and say, hey, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter left everything, and he followed Jesus. These guys didn't have the background that you would hope for if you're going to make a missionary. But Jesus said, I'm going to use these people. And throughout the New Testament, you can find stories where these guys actually did the work. In Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip talked to the Ethiopian eunuch and explained the gospel to him. You find in, all throughout the book of Acts, you have this man named Peter, the one who, dis, who disowned Jesus three times. He was used in a mighty way to reach other people with the gospel. History says that every single uh, apostle was persecuted, and everyone was put to death except for the one named John, who was, who was dipped in a, a big tar bucket, and when he came back out, normally people died from that because it suffocated everything in their body, and they were, they were lit up as a torch at night because they didn't have electricity. But he survived the dipping, and so he got banished to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But every single one of these guys were put to death or were facing persecution because they were out trying to share the gospel. And everyone is called to share the good news. Nobody gets to sit on the bench. This is not a spectator sport. Now, I recognize when we look at Jesus and the disciples, they were a little bit different from us because they were full-time missionaries, right? They're out there and going from town to town sharing the gospel. They didn't work on ranches. They didn't work at the courthouse. They didn't work at the hospital. They didn't teach. They didn't do all the number of occupations that we find in here. So it's a little bit different. But we have to do our part in sharing the good news wherever we go. And the good news, answer number one, 
It's the good news. It's the, it's the, the news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And he died on the cross to pay for my sins and Billy Graham's sins and every sin that has ever been uh, committed throughout the, all of history. And the, the, the idea of sharing the good news, it's a command. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, says, Go and preach the gospel. And they were supposed to start in Jerusalem, and then they are supposed to go to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But it was a command. Acts 1.8 says, You will go and be my witnesses. Uh, and he tells the disciples, This is what you're going to do. This isn't an, an option. I know a couple weeks ago, I, we talked about baptism. I said, that's not an option. It's, a, it's an, an option because God's not going to grab you by the collar, dunk you underwater, and say, okay, you're baptized. God's not going to grab me by the collar, stick me in someone's face, and start making my mouth move like a puppet. So it's an option that way, but this is a command. This is something that God wants each one of us to do, is to share the gospel with other people. But the problem is, there's only a few workers. In Matthew 9.37, talks about how the harvest is ripe. Outside this whole world, even the small town of Plevna, there, there's har- there, there is harvest that is ripe. We just need to go out and get it. We have to work to reap that harvest, but it's there around the whole world. But the workers are few, and that's a really sad thing. Because I imagine everybody in here, or for the most part, would say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus for my salvation, which is great. That's exactly what we've got to do. But we have to try to harvest. We have to try to share this good news with other people. But if you're going to do that, I want you to know a few things ahead of time. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find that everybody has their own part to play in this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. We looked at this at the Awana meeting that we had, so it's going to sound familiar to a few of you. It says, uh, only... What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Everybody's got a different task. I planted the seed, but Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have the same purpose. So everybody has their own part to play. You can't... Will, when you plant your seeds in the garden, like when you guys did, and if you look out, you see my garden, it doesn't look very good. If this was possible, we planted the seeds and we watered it. That's all I can do. I mean, you can try to fertilize the ground and try to help it that way, but I can't make it grow. I can't, I can't will it to grow. Please, corn, I want the biggest pro- uh, produce you've ever had in Plevna. I can't talk it into growing. I can't wish it's going to grow. That's up to God. If a, if a seed's going to take root, it's going to be up to God. You know, there's uh, a youth group kid I had back in Davenport. His name was James, and he used to play the bagpipes. And he was really good at playing the bagpipes. And he, it was like, back in Davenport, there's probably like here. How many people know someone who plays the bagpipes? You don't know anybody here. But back in Davenport, I told you, a rare thing, but he was really good at it. Well, this kid, we've been over backwards to get him and his sister to youth group. She was allergic to peanuts. We said no peanut anything for like a year and a half, and how irritating that was. No M&M's. We did banana splits. We had, we, we had to limit what we could put on them. Well, this boy, he, he never, uh, we invested in him. This kid was, he was a misfit, but he uh, liked my kids. Everything was great. And I find out that uh, before we, we left Davenport, I went out to Christian school because they left the youth group. You know, people get mad and they leave. And I saw him out of Christian Heritage. And like the first thing that came out of his mouth when he saw me was, 
I said, how are you doing? He says, I just got saved. And I'm thinking, what? How did you just get saved? We talked about the gospel. We presented the gospel over and over. What do you mean you just got saved? But the results are up to me. The results are up to God. So when you're sharing Christ with somebody and they say, I don't believe it or I don't want it or they reject it, you don't have to stress out about it. You can relax because the results are not up to you. It's up to God. Um, and God's going to re- people. Okay, so and God's going to reward you for the part that you do. If you share the gospel, God's going to reward you for that. If you're one of those people who comes along and you try to convince people this is the truth and help people to understand it, you live it out in your life. God's going to reward you for the part that you do it. And that's the positive side. It's not your fault. It's not your fault if someone doesn't get saved. And God's going to reward you for what you do. But in John 15, it talks about how we're. we're we're going to be persecuted. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, guess what? They're going to persecute you. And I know for a lot of people, that's a big deterrent. You don't like me? You're going to talk bad about me? That's enough to say, I'm not going to share the good news with you. People are going to start hitting me. I want to hit them back. I'm not going to tell them. That's their own problem. But people aren't going to like you. But Jesus said, you've got to share the good news anyway. So I'll look at some different ways that we can share the gospel. That it, you have, First of all, you have missionaries. You know, Dennis and Nancy are going to come up on Wednesday, and I hope that everybody comes over here and listens to what they say. They're missionaries in Cameroon. They're, they're across the seas. We're the, the people who are supporting them because that's their job. That's what they do. They don't, he, he does medical missionary work, and maybe he gets a little finances from that, but he went over there, gave up everything in America to share life, to share the gospel with these people. But you can be a missionary over in another country, and you can translate the Bible into their language. You can be a preacher or a teacher. Uh, here, Operation Christmas Child. You guys are familiar with that. You take a little shoebox, you stick a bunch of goodies in it and toys. It gets sent overseas, and people go and they deliver those, and they use that as a tool to make kids say, okay, I got something that I'm excited about, but then you use the opportunity to share the gospel with them. You can preach from the pulpit, which I realize I'm the guy who does it. And that, to me, is the easiest place to get up and share the gospel. But... There is Sunday school. You can share the gospel in Sunday school. There is Awana. There's VBS. There's all sorts of opportunities in a church-type setting to share the gospel. And it's easy at church to think, I'm just going to share this is what the Bible says and avoid that part of it. We need to make sure that we tell people specifically, this is what the gospel says. We have neighbors. We have family. We have friends. We have coworkers. We have people we like and people we don't like. They're a mission field. Anita pointed out what the bulletin said. If you have the right bulletin, you can read the right little tidbit about it. But it's something about, it says every Christian is a missionary. Every single one of us, every non-Christian is a mission field. Like it or not, that's the way it is. And so everybody here who says I'm a Christian knows somebody who is a mission field. And we need to make sure we take the opportunities to share Christ with those people. Uh, you know, there's, there's different ways to do it. You can try to do it like the guy in the bulletin did. He said, I have an app. Do you know Jesus? If not, here's an app. He'll, it'll tell you all about it. You know, I kind of think about uh, one time uh, I, I gave a guy a track, and I wrote a little letter and I gave it to him because I, I was so afraid to share it. I was afraid to share the good news even though he needed to hear it. I used to work with him at Walmart. We unloaded trucks. And he was like, like an MMA fighter kind of guy. I mean, he didn't make it to the TV, but he was one of those guys. He had the scars. He had the attitude. Everything you would think about someone like that, 
was this guy. And my last day of work, I gave him a ride home, and I said, here's a track. Will you please read this and please believe this? And that was the last time I saw him. I mean, that's better than nothing, right? But what do you think would have been better? Do you think if I would have said, hey, Craig, can I tell you something? Here's the gospel. Do you think that's going to be better than a track that he might go, oh, maybe someday I'll read it and he loses it? Or he, he, maybe he's really he's going to have questions. Who's he going to ask? Nobody. It wasn't me because he just has a track and he, I don't even know where he lives. I mean, I dropped him off at, like, at a different location. He didn't know where I live and there's no connection whatsoever. It's doing something, but it, maybe I could have done something a lot better. So that obviously was going to work better. Even, even last year on vacation, somebody had a creative idea. We rented this little house, and they had this book that was out there. And you could write down your memories of what happened while you were there. Well, somebody said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write out the gospel. And I read the gospel. I was already saved, but I saw, yep, that's really true. And the idea was that every single person who came into that house could read that. Because you're not going to be there, so they're trying what they can. The, the people who rented the house, you never saw them, so you don't even know, uh, didn't have uh, interaction with them. So they did what they could to share the gospel. So let me ask you, who is the last person that you tried to share the gospel with? Hmm. Boy, that might take a little thinking. And when was the last time you tried to do it? There was, uh, if it's been a while or if you haven't done it, why, why haven't you done it? Is it because, A, I really don't believe the gospel? Because if you really don't believe it, you're not going to do a good job trying to share it. Is it because your circle, everybody in my circle, everybody that I can think of that I know is a Christian? You know, and so it's like, you know, I don't need to share Christ with my, my nephew or my wife or my coworkers because everybody's saved. Let me encourage you to expand it just a little bit. You don't have to open it up to the whole world yet. Make that group a little bit bigger. Find somebody that you know that needs the Lord. And I know people in here do that, and I appreciate that because that's part of the, our mission field. It's part of what we're supposed to do. Are you ashamed of the gospel? I mentioned how I was kind of afraid because I just gave this guy a track instead of saying, here, let me use my mouth and explain it to you. But Romans 1.16 says, I'm not, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the good news for salvation for everybody who believes. We're all on the same page. We all need Jesus just as much. And if they're going to feel like they are worse than you because they need Jesus, well, that's, I don't know what to do with that. We all need Jesus. We can't be ashamed of it. That's not what we're called to do. We, we believe it for ourselves. And if we really believe it, we should share it with other people. Do you really know the gospel? You know, I've been, I've been toying with the idea of having, a, uh, having this Awana meeting discussing how to share the gospel with people. And I think, in my personal opinion, the biggest reason why people don't share the gospel, or one of the biggest reasons, is they don't know it. I mean, they know that Jesus died and that they're a sinner, and they know enough to get to heaven, but they can't articulate it to people because they don't know it. They haven't thought through this is what I would say, or these are the verses that would back them up. But in 1 Peter verses 15 and 16, a verse that the high school class is working on right now, we're, we're doing an apologetics class, which is defending what you believe. And we're going to be talking about things like that. How do, I, how do I prove from Scripture that I'm a sinner or that I need a Savior? And those are some of the, the things that are, we're, we're going to be looking at. But it's not something that you say, that's the pastor's job. That's the missionary's job. That's my parents' job. But this is something that's a command for each one of us, to give the reason for the hope that you have. How many people here say, I have hope? 
I have hope in Jesus as my Savior. Amen. I have hope. Can I tell people? Am I willing to? Do I, could I show from Scripture this is what the Gospel says? Because we're not trying to use wise and persuasive arguments to convince people. The last thing in the world I want to do is argue with people. I don't know if I've told you guys before, but my twin brother and I used to argue. And I lost every time. And guess what? He told me later on, he says, you were right most of those times, Josh. You just couldn't argue very well. <laughs> so I hate arguing. But if I can say, this is what the Bible says, take it or leave it, that's all I have to do. I, it's not my responsibility if they accept it or not. But I have to have a defense for my faith. And if I know it, then I'm going to be able to share it. Is it hard to bring it up? That's sometimes tricky. There's, there are people who are like masters at uh, weaving conversations to, stay, to get to a topic that they want to discuss. It might be the car that I bought or the, the team that I'm rooting for or some special surprise that I got or it's the gospel. That's hard to do. That takes a lot of time to develop skills like that. You could just say, hey, guess what, Steve? I, I got something I'd like to talk to you about. Oh, okay, well, what is it? Well, here's the good news that I've heard about Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, you could try to weave it in, but don't let there be an excuse that you've got to do it a certain exact way to get a conversation there. Just bring it up. If you look for opportunities, I guarantee you will see them. If you try to create opportunities, I know you can do it. And the, I'm not a big fan of like walking up to a stranger and assaulting them with the gospel, just trying to just, hey, I don't know you, let me just tell you this because I have to. I told you I did that in Bible school. The other person didn't like it, I didn't like it. There's no relationship to kind of connect us. And, and so I, I'm not a big fan of that, so I would never ask you to do that. But hopefully, you guys have friends, you guys have co-workers, hopefully you have lived your life in a way that people say there is something different about that person. And then you, you have the groundwork that's already laid just by the way that you have lived your life. And so that when you have the opportunity, you're more willing to listen to what you have to say. Because that's, that's a big step too, is you've you got to be living the life. But that's not an excuse. You can't say, well, I haven't been living for the Lord until I, I better shut up. No, you better start living your life for the Lord and then take the opportunities of sharing the gospel. But I want to make this first point very clear. Sharing the gospel is my responsibility. Everybody repeat after me. It is my job to share the good news. It's okay, thank you. Everybody understands. But we're also called to support other people who share the good news. Now, the easiest way is going to be financially. These women, they, they did something that I feel like is, is pretty special. Uh, this says there's, the, verse 2 says, Also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, then there was uh, Joanna, the, the, man, the wife of Herod's household, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. And they supported the mission, sorry, they supported Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. Now, this first woman, her name is Mary Magdalene. And people, there's, there's a wide variety of what this person's background was really like. They want to say she was the one we looked at last week who was wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and putting oil on his feet. And, and that could possibly be the case. She could just be a woman from Magdalene, which would be uh, Mary Magdala. That's why she would have the last the name associated with her, so you know which Mary that she is. Whatever the case, this was a woman who got saved. She had seven demons in her purse. She had seven. That could be because she had seven specific demons. She could have had one, two, three, four, five. She had seven. Or it could have been, that's the number of completion. Like, that's enough. I mean, after you get to seven, 
It doesn't matter how many more, because by that time, you're fully demon-possessed. This woman was as possessed as you could get, but God cast those demons out of her, and he rescued her, and he saved her from the torment and from the control that the demons had in her life, and she became one of, of Jesus' more faithful followers. Makes me think of last week where the woman who was forgiven much, loved much, and here she's following Jesus, and she's trying to support him out of her own means. Then you have uh, Joanna, the wife of, of Herod's manager, who took care of... He was, her husband was the guy who took care of Herod's, uh, <laughs> of Herod's estate. He took care of his finances. So this guy was not just your ordinary guy. This guy was well-respected. He was well-liked. He was somebody who everybody looked up to. You, you didn't go to work in, in jeans and a t-shirt. You, you, you lived well. You looked well because you were representing Herod and what he stood for. And so this woman more than likely was well-to-do herself. She probably wore the finest clothes. She probably ate the finest food. And here, at, for whatever reason, she's out with these women who normally probably would not associate with each other. You have this well-to-do person and this, very, this, this other woman who is demon-possessed. You put those two together, they don't go together. Oil and water don't mix. But here you find them together with a common purpose. And so they're both and you find out with the other people that they're no-name people. Susanna, you don't find anything out about them. And all these other people who are supporting Jesus, you don't know anything about them. But it's an amazing thing that they were giving out of their own means to support Jesus. Now, if we were to say, hey, every woman here that goes to work, you probably could support somebody pretty well, right? Because if, if you have uh, a dual income, of course that's going to make it easy. All your finances can go towards supporting somebody. But if you're... Uh, a single mom, or if you have no job, how hard is it to support somebody else and take care of yourself? It's not going to be very easy. These, these women didn't just go out and get jobs as they went along. They, I think what they had is they had uh, this, the, the, this guy that I keep messing up, the Joanna, whose husband worked for Pharaoh, or for Herod. Maybe he supported that. Maybe he said, here's some money, you go support Jesus. But you think about this, this woman, Mary, who's supporting Jesus out of her own means, you know what? She probably had money, and it starts to go like this. It starts to become less and less because she doesn't have this reoccurring income in her life like we do. And so she's giving, and everything she gives, it gets more and more sacrificial because she has less and less to live off of. Now, I was thinking about my, my son Noah, and I'm, uh, it just is a good example, not to like kind of say, hey, look at how great he is, but uh, you know, a lot of kids don't have jobs. I know there's kids here who sell they have jobs, and they, they sell their, their cows, and they sell their sheep, and all that kind of stuff. But my kids, they don't have a job. They don't get paid to do chores. You know, maybe if everybody else does, that's great, but they do some chores. They don't get paid. Noah goes out, and sometimes they mow out at Ida's house, because just to keep things mowed down, so they get a little bit of money. But otherwise, they get birthday money, and they get Christmas money, and that's it. And so when they have their money, and they slowly spend it, they get less and less. Well, when the Gideon was here, Noah said, hey, Dad, can I give money to the Gideon to buy a Bible? And I said, sure, it's your money. So he ran home and he got $20, and he gave it to the Gideon. And it's, so it's a, it's a very hard, you, get, you understand the idea. Like, if that's all you have, and that's, you're not getting any more until your next birthday or until your next Christmas or until your next once-in-a-blue-moon job, it's a big sacrifice, and I feel like that's what these women were doing. They, they didn't have a reoccurring money pot that kept giving them money. They had that little bit that they, that they had, and that was all they, they had to live off. And I felt like it was a big sacrifice for these women. 
So what can we do to support missionaries? Well, first of all, you can financially give to missionaries. Everything else we're going to look at you can do, but you can't, you can't eat a t-shirt, right? You can't eat a, a card. You can't, there's only certain things. They have bills they have to pay. You go to the market, you got to give money. So that's the biggest thing we could do to support missionaries. That's what these women did, and they made their jobs a whole lot easier for Jesus and his disciples because they did that. But also, not everybody has money. You can support them by praying for them. Praying for missionaries is a great idea. Writing them cards and saying, hey, we're thinking of you, and we're praying for you. That's a huge support. But there's always things that we can do, and we need to support other people who are sharing the good news. We need to share the good news, and we need to support people who share the good news. And I know from experience that, uh, and I can look at Jesus and his disciples and how they're trying to share the good news, and they want to do that. But you know, if you don't have, if that's all you're doing and you're not getting supported for doing that, your stomach starts to get hungry. It starts to become a distraction because you need clothes to wear. They need food to eat. And so uh, what these women did is they made it possible that they didn't have to do this dual job. Paul in the Bible, he liked being a tent maker. And so he, he chose that. And there's, there's people who, who do that. They say, I'm going to be a medical missionary, and so I can help raise my own support. There's pastors who do the same thing. I, for one, am thrilled to death that I do not have to do that. One of the churches, or one of the things we looked for in a church was a church where I didn't have to be distracted. I didn't have to, to try to go out and work a separate job. I could focus just on this. And I thank you very much that I could do that. I don't have to try to worry about how am I going to make ends meet. And I think for Jesus and the disciples, they were able to focus on the ministry that they had of trying to share the gospel, because that was the most important thing, and the women made it possible for them. So let me just close by saying, it's, the good news is the news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, for every one of us. It's everybody's job is to share the good news, and it's everybody's job to support other people in some way who share the good news. I want to encourage you to share the good news, and to support other people that, who do it. On the back of the bulletin, uh, in case somebody says, I'm not throwing it out, uh, only missionaries and pastors are shared to call the good news. True or false? The answer is false. Who is one person I can share the good news with? That might be a different person for each one of us, but everybody knows someone who needs to hear the good news. What is one way I can share the good news? We have a want to invite kids to church. We have Sunday school. We have our mouths and just walk up and tell somebody. And how can I support somebody who shares, who shares the good news? These are questions you guys need to think through through this week and we need to put into practice. Not just you, but me as well. Let's pray and ask God to help us to take advantage of those opportunities that he gives us. Dear God, I thank you so much that you gave us the good news. I thank you, God, that you loved us so much that Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross to give us salvation, that we don't have to go to hell, that we can live with you for all eternity. God, when things come up that distract us from that, I pray that you would, would bring our focus back to you. God, we all know people who don't know you as their Savior. It might be family. It might be friends or coworkers or classmates. And I just pray that you give us the courage to share the good news with them and that they would be open to receiving that good news. And I pray that we would take advantage of those opportunities. And God, I thank you for the missionaries who are out there day after day sharing the good news. And I pray that you'd help us to know, know how to support them and how to encourage them. I just pray that you would just bless them in a special way for the work that they do. And for everybody here who really wants to put this into practice, I pray that you bless them in a special way as well. In Jesus' name, amen.